Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. To Johnny... Murder had become almost routine. An unemotional moment, as common as withdrawing cash, only with a simple transfer between accounts, sullied by that tiresome annoyance. People. I disposed of Dr. Henderson in the storeroom at Leopold Road by shooting him in the head, and I put him in a tank of acid. With the doctor dead, the acid should rightfully be his. But in his way was a wife. Rosalie Henderson was a feisty, angry neurotic, doped upon sleeping pills, drowsy with drink, and bed-bound in a Brighton hotel, who Johnny, a man her own brother had warned her against, would have to lure out on the flimsy excuse that her now-dead husband, who she'd threatened to divorce, was sick. Driven at night, in a strange car, to an isolated yard, this paranoid lady, with a lifelong fear of the dark, would be led inside an odd little shed, illuminated by a single bulb, only to find no Archie. Instead, she would see three acid bottles, two steel drums, one empty, one full, a cracked monocle, a spatter of blood, a rubber apron, a set of gauntlets, and in Johnny's hand, her dead husband's revolver. I went back to Brighton and brought up Mrs. Henderson on the pretext that her husband was ill. I shot her in the storeroom and put her in another tank and disposed of her with acid. But was it really that simple? Well, yes, it was. In his diary, Johnny marked the moment. A is for Archie, R is for Rose. I didn't deal with her until just before midnight. And yet, so trivial were their deaths. Had it not been for that note, he'd have forgotten. Yes, I suppose it must have been on the 12th, when I got rid of them. The killing spree of John George Haig, one of Britain's most infamous serial killers, was complete. As expected, his fourth murder was perfect. His fifth was easy peasy and with the police unaware that anyone was missing the rest would be textbook but once again 
having overlooked yet another small and seemingly insignificant detail, something would go horribly wrong. The Hendersons were gone, and bit by bit, as Johnny picked it apart, so were their assets. In the case of Dr. Henderson, I removed his cigarette case and gold watch, and from his wife, her wedding and engagement rings. Before their bodies were reduced to a dark smouldering goo, Johnny pawned off a diamond and sapphire ring, a gold watch, a gold chain, a set of gold studs, a pewter tea set, and a silver cigarette case, to Horace Bull, a jeweller in Horsham, for £292. Johnny gave a false name and address, and all of the pieces were either sold on, broken up, or smelted down. Having sidled up in a red Lagonda, which burst with boxes, golf bags, and suitcases, all monogrammed with a large flashy H, Johnny stashed the property of two old pals who have gone to South Africa into the garage of Thomas Davies, some of which, at their request, he would dip into and flog off. Being post-war, with money tight, essentials rationed, and the black market a bit of a grey area, the average bod didn't give two hoots where a case full of hooky goods came from. So with a nod, a wink, and no questions asked, unaware that they were destroying evidence. Thomas bought some golf clubs and glassware. Leonard and Gladys Bevan had five pairs of ladies' shoes and a lambswool coat. And Barbara Stevens, Alan's daughter and Johnny's sort of girlfriend, got first dibs on a green linen dress, a mustard-coloured blouse and a nearly new bathing suit. And yes, some of it may have been a little scorched, but even Johnny's coat had acid burns on the cuffs, so beggars can't be choosers. Bits and bobs he stored in the garage to sell later, but all of the best stuff he kept for himself at the Onslow Court Hotel. Of course, it wasn't weird at all that he wore a dead man's suits, shirts, ties, cuffs, belts and collars, that he proudly pranced about his bedroom, all peacock-like, in the deceased silk robe and slippers, or that Johnny played at being a doctor by coveting a few odd objects from Archie's life, like his hip flask, briefcase, stethoscope, kidney bowls, a brass thermometer, an inkstand, and two metal plates marked Archibald Henderson. No, this wasn't strange at all, as with the couple now dead and gone, all of this stuff was his stuff. Okay, maybe Johnny was a tad careless to sell off his victim's stuff, to dress in his victim's clothes, to drive in his victim's car, to take his victim's dog, and to sign his victim's name on his victim's checks at his victim's bank. But as before, having laid a cunning subterfuge, Johnny had covered his tracks. One hour after her murder, having adopted a high-pitched voice, Johnny called the Metropole Hotel, and pretending to be Rosalie, he stated that the couple had unexpectedly gone away. And concerned for his well-being, he asked the night porter to feed and walk Pat, 
their elderly red setter. Four days later, clutching a seemingly legal-looking letter, supposedly signed by the Hendersons, which gave this random stranger total authority to do as he pleased. I paid their hotel bill, collected their dog, and took their luggage to Dawes Road. With their account settled, the animal gone, the room vacated, and the luggage collected, the hotel had no reason to be concerned. Being fond of Pat, Johnny cared for the old dog in his hotel room, where he was loved, brushed, and fed on meat rations he had brought having queued up for hours at the butcher's. He even took the almost blind dog to an eye specialist. But with pets being against the hotel's rules, Pat was put into kennels. With the old ploy practically foolproof, as before, I kept the relatives quiet by sending letters purporting to come from the Hendersons to Rosalie's brother Arnold and Archie's sister Ethel. Having stolen their passports, identity cards, driving licenses and marriage certificate, I acquired the forged deeds of transfer for 16 Doors Road. This time, with no spelling mistakes or dodgy signatures. And once again, he collected the rent in person, having introduced himself as the tenant's new landlord. Oh yes, the murders were a doddle, the subterfuge was a done deal, and soon it would be time for tea, toast and scrambled egg. Yum. I mean, it had all worked so well before, so why change a winning formula? Besides, with Ethel busy moving house in Jersey, and having swallowed a semi-believable story that Archie and Rosalie were moving to Durban, she wouldn't be aware that anything was amiss until a year later. As for the disposal, well, Johnny had got the knack now, and as the fifth person he had liquefied in less than five years, it was all very simple. So in just 48 hours, the Hendersons went from guts to gloop. Step one. A single shot, at close range, blasted in the back of the head. Rosalie dropped like a sack of spuds. The walls muffled the noise. The dark disguised the killing. The fence hid the storeroom. Step two. Stripped of stuff, rings, ID card, keys, cash. Hogtied with twine, as the limbs were still floppy, she was slid inside a 40-gallon drum and as a slight eight stoner, easily propped upright. Note to self. Find a phone box. Call the Metropole Hotel. Hello, Rosalie here. Could you take Pat for a walkies? Then lock the door. Lights off. Home for a snooze and a hearty breakfast. Step three. Apron on, gauntlets on, gas mask on, with the carboy still and the bucket bedamned. Stirrup pump 30 gallons of sulfuric until the drums are four-fifths full. Windows open and lid on. Step four. First 10 minutes. Acid turns black as hair, eyes and flesh are stripped. Next 30 minutes. Acid boils as it reacts with the blood and fat. Drum rattles a bit, then settles. Quick stir with a rod, then a cup of tea. After three hours, 
Muscles, tendons and cartilage are gone, but the skeleton remains. Second note to self. Drums are three foot high. The McSwans and Rosalie were five foot eight maximum, but Archie was six foot. So with his left foot sticking out and not dissolved. Hello, White and Son. I'd like to order a fourth carboy of acid. An extra cost, a slight delay, but job done. Step five. Two days later, with the drums called, the gloop tepid, and a greasy yellow sludge on top with a black smoky soup beneath. Give it a quick stir. Check there's no big bits, but a few small fragments is fine. Sadly, with no drain at Leopold Road, both drums are dragged into the yard, the goo is tipped amongst the trash and car oil and soaked into the ground. It's not ideal, but the gloop is gone. And as always, a quick clean-up followed. Apron up, gauntlets away, gas masks stowed, carboys collected, ID and victim stuff stashed, gun back to hotel room, give the drums a rinse out with acid as fat tends to cling to the sides, dump both drums in the yard, and after a quick wipe down with a rag, as blood's a dead giveaway, return the storeroom keys back to Edward. Easy peasy. A thorough murder investigation headed up by Detective Inspector Guy Mahon and Home Office pathologist Dr. Keith Simpson wouldn't be conducted until more than a year later, after Johnny's confession. But by then, very little of the McSwans or the Hendersons would be found. In the last half a decade, the basement at 79 Gloucester Road had changed hands several times. So in terms of cast iron proof, it was useless. Any personal items belonging to the five victims could have been legally acquired at any time, which Johnny certainly had the paperwork to prove. And as a full year had passed, any evidence relating to the Hendersons at Leopold Road was purely circumstantial. There would be no witnesses. Nobody on Leopold Road saw, heard or smelt anything strange coming from this engineer's workshop. Between Brighton and Crawley, nobody spotted Johnny with either of the Hendersons that day. And there would be no ballistics, no bullets, no holes, no casings. And although a firearms specialist recreated the shot, shielded by brick walls, it sounded just like a muffled pop. Being a dirty, oily storeroom, the investigators were unable to pull a single fingerprint from any surface. His cleanup was slapdash, but using a wet rag, he wiped away any trace of the Henderson's blood. Of their personal possessions, the cracked monocle was proven to be Archie's, as well as the gas mask, the revolver, and the hat box marked with a monogrammed H, as well as his and his wife's IDs, licenses, marriage certificate and passports, all of which were legally acquired, and none of which was a body. And although forensics found a beechwood rod with one end disintegrated, two rusted steel drums, a stained apron and gauntlets, and a series of zigzag marks in the soil as two heavy drums were dragged from the storeroom 
to an ominous pool of yellowy-green grease. This suggested that something had been dissolved in acid. But this wasn't unusual for an inventor who experimented in plastics. The police would find no hard evidence that the Hendersons were at number 2 Leopold Road. And as you can't fingerprint sludge, Johnny was right. Corpus delicti. With no body, there can be no crime. Only, having overlooked another small detail, once again, the killer risked his capture. I found the Hendersons interesting and amusing. They talked a lot about themselves, and from many conversations I learned a great deal about them. To Johnny, whereas Archie was the prize, Rosalie was a mere formality who could be rubbed out just as easily as he erased her name. And as he listened to her life story, some bits he stored, but most bits he binned. Rosalie Mercy Berlin, known as Rose, was born on the 11th of September 1907, as the eldest of two siblings, with a younger brother, Arnold. Ah, boring, boring, boring. To Edith, an English housewife, Ah, snooze. And Adolf, a naturalised German dentist. Ah, a dentist. Bingo. Described as a neurotic, paranoid hypochondriac, Rose's nervousness began when an uncaring nanny thought that the best way to keep a chatty child quiet was to tell the tot terrifying tales and to lock her in a pitch-black room. A childhood trauma which resulted in years of therapy terror and tranquilizers. A dull little detail there. Hmm, but like Archie's bad back and poor eyesight, possibly useful. Educated at Pendleton High School, Rose trained as a typist at the Pittman College and began a short career as a secretary. Ah, secretary, secretary, shorthand typist, modelled once but mostly unemployed. Ah, so she's got no money. Her dad's a financial risk, her mum's just a housewife, and her brother runs a crappy seaside hotel in Blackpool. So basically, they're all worth nothing. Damn it. Right, Rosalie. 37 years old, 5 foot 7 and 8 stone. In short, sad, false and pointless. Typical. In 1931, she married Rudolf Ehren. Ah, an engineer, an inventor, and founder of the Erin Motor Company. Hmm. Now, start of the war, he suspected of being a Nazi, arrested, interred, divorced, and later deported back to Germany. Shame. Meanwhile, Rudolf and Rosalie live opposite Archie and Dorothy, which we know. Archie and Rosalie have an affair, which we know. Rosalie taunts Dorothy with this knowledge, which we didn't know. Nasty bitch. Archie gets Rosalie pregnant. Uh-huh. Illegally aborts the baby. Uh-huh. In Dorothy's sitting room. Uh-huh. Dorothy leaves Archie, and three days later she dies suspiciously. Hmm. Maybe I should consider blackmail. 
This follows eight years of lies, drink, affairs, blah 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 and hemorrhaging cash. Oh, don't I know the feeling. The Hendersons sell off their very expensive and tastefully decorated 20-bedroomed house at 22 Ladbroke Square, which is where they met me. The rest we know. Only he didn't. Johnny only cared about one thing. Money. As for people, his only concern was what they were worth. So anyone whose money wasn't worth stealing, he disregarded as irrelevant. A big mistake he had made once before with the McSwans, and now with Rose Henderson. It is said that every rose has its thorn, and his name was Arnold Berlin. On the 3rd of September 1947, being broke and keen to weasel his way into the life of a man that he thought was a wealthy mark, I met the Hendersons by answering an advertisement offering the sale of 22 Ladbroke Square, a house they had purchased for £4,600, would ultimately sell for £8,700 to cover their debts. And yet, much to the befuddlement of Rose's younger brother, Johnny declared, Oh, that's too cheap. But if you'll accept £10,500, that's a deal. As a no-nonsense Blackpool hotelier, attuned to spotting an unsavoury sort, too poor to stump up a pound to pay his bill, Arnold later said of Johnny, Of the scores of stupid people I've ever met, I've just been introduced to the greatest of them all. Later advising Rosalie, When you meet a man who talks like that, you should run for your life. And although she kept a bit of a distance, Archie did not. The last time Arnold saw his sister was on the 1st of February 1948, in their flat above the Dole's Hospital toy shop at 16 Dawes Road. As being asset rich but cash poor, having loaned the Hendersons £160 to furnish the flat, Archie repaid the loan that day by cheque. The last time Arnold spoke to his sister was by phone a few days before her death. She was unwell, bedbound, but fine. I kept the relatives quiet by sending letters purporting to come from the Hendersons. And as a skilled forger, who over the previous months had mastered their handwriting, spelling, style and tone, once again, his cunning subterfuge began. On Saturday the 14th of February, on headed paper, swiped from the Metropole Hotel, Johnny penned a letter from Archie to Daisy Roundtree, manageress of the Dole's Hospital toy shop. It read, Dear Daisy, Mrs Henderson and I are going away for two or three months, first to Scotland, Scotland and, and later, later abroad. abroad. In my absence, Mr Haig will look after my affairs. I am closing the shop. Mr. Haig will keep you for a few days to enable him to take stock. Mrs. Mrs. Henderson and I send you kind regards and hope, and hope to, to see you again, again when, when we return. return. Yours sincerely, Archibald Henderson. 
received on Tuesday the 17th, Daisy was shocked. As in short, she had been sacked. No thank you, no warning, no reason, and no goodbye. Just gone. An uncharacteristically callous dismissal from a man she liked. That same day, Arnold dropped in as the check had bounced. Shocked at Daisy's distress and the fact that his sister's affairs were being handled by a stranger, he told Daisy to do nothing till I speak to them. Unable to contact the Hendersons, he traced Johnny to the Onslow Court Hotel. Here, Haig, what's all this about then? Caught off guard by the nosy northern blighter, Johnny reassured this nobody that he had nothing to be concerned about. The Hendersons merely owed him a rather sizable debt, and he had the paperwork to prove it, don't you know? But being immune to Johnny's charms, and seeing this little louse as a bit too smooth, Arnold was suspicious. It was odd. Usually Johnny's letters worked like a treat. But then again, the reclusive McSwans weren't the recalcitrant Arnold Berlin. So if he wanted proof, he would get proof. In the form of a forged contract from Archie to Johnny, backdated eight days before their deaths, and signed by the dead. To J.G. Haig, I acknowledge receipt of £2,500 on part loan for three months. For repayment, I hereby hereby assign to you the stock at 16 Doors Road, a standard saloon, a lacquered bedroom suite, and other items on inventory to come. This leaves a value of £1,500 outstanding, and should I require the loan after the 3rd of May 1948, I will assign to you the freehold of 16 Doors Road. Signed, Archibald Henderson, witnessed by Rose Henderson. Would Arnold buy this ploy? He didn't know. So as a second layer of lies to bed in his bullshit, Johnny penned a letter from Rose to himself, dotting it with hints as to why they had unexpectedly departed. Written on Metropole Hotel no paper, with Brighton crossed out, and Edinburgh scrawled underneath. The letter read, My dear Mr. Haig, just to let you know that we are all right, as you must be wondering when you are going to hear from us. Archie Archie is quite quite different different now, and and you you won't won't believe it, he is laying off the bottle. He has at last come to his senses, and realises that I could not carry on as we were doing. We are going to Aberdeen tomorrow, for a day or two, and shall be calling at my brother Arnold's on the way back. Archie won't get in touch with him because he sent him a bad cheque. It was good of you to help him. I do appreciate it, and I hope you are having luck with the stock at Dawes Road. I shall look forward to seeing you again before we go to South Africa. I hope Pat is not giving you any trouble. Please give my kind regards to Daisy. Yours sincerely, R. Henderson. Not subtle but effective. Sadly, as Pat's blindness was incurable, being placed in kennels, although he was genuinely concerned about the dog's welfare, it resulted in the only two occasions where anyone recalled Johnny becoming upset. Once when Pat was put to sleep, and later when a tabloid falsely accused him 
of animal cruelty. But Johnny's soft and sensitive side didn't cut the mustard with Arnold. On Monday, the 23rd of February, 1948, determined to get to the bottom of this, Arnold asked to meet Johnny at 16 Doors Road, in the sitting room of which he spotted the Henderson suitcases and passports. Fearing his ruse had been rumbled, Johnny spun a semi-believable story about drink and debts. He locked the flat, and unsure if he had pacified Arnold, he fired off another letter, this time from Rose. Typed, signed, and dated Friday the 27th of February, with a Birmingham postmark, it read, My dear Arnold, we've never had such a long silence. You must wonder what happened. Unfortunately, Archie found out that I was leaving him. We had a perfect bust up at Brighton, and he threatened to commit suicide if I left him. Followed by some family bump from Bluster, of which, I thought we might come along and see you this weekend, but we must keep on the move for a while yet, probably three or more weeks. We are keeping away from Archie's usual haunts. Archie is as good as gold, and is seldom drinking. I only hope Johnny Haig is doing all right, because he's been a real brick to me during the last few months. Hope you are well. Don't worry. Give my love to Mummy. Rose. Did it work? Did it not work? Johnny didn't know. So just to be sure, he fired off a few postcards. 27th of February, Birmingham. Archie to Arnold and Johnny. I am doing very well. That is, roses, and we shall be returning at the end of March. Archie. Which made sense, as Archie was a man of few words. 5th of March, rugby postmark, Rose to Daisy. I hope you are all right and getting on well with Mr. Haig. We are very well and having a busy time. See you at the end of March. Kind regards, Rose. 5th of March, Rugby, Rose to Arnold. Hope my letter puts your mind at rest. I expect the details would amuse you at least. Archie's still very good, and the Brighton episode was a blessing in disguise. Love to Mumsy and all. Shall see you on the way back. Rose. Only this time, Johnny had misspelt Mumsy. And again, 5th of March, Rugby. In a postcard, written by Johnny as Rose, and sent to himself. To let you know that we're all still well and very busy. Hope you are all right. Kind regards, Rose. And although Arnold couldn't help but be drawn in by the catalogue of convincing correspondence, he couldn't explain the passports, the suitcases, and why Rose's personal address book was found in Johnny's car. On Friday the 19th of March, having not spoken to Rose in person for more than a month, Arnold contacted a friend at the Stockport Police, who agreed to look into the possible disappearance of the Hendersons. Alarmed at this news and panicked, the very next day Arnold received a telegram. It simply read, Going to Scotland tonight? Contact you Tuesday or Wednesday. Rose. It was short, 
but as a stalling tactic, it gave Johnny time. As two days later, three letters arrived at three different addresses. 21st of March, Glasgow, Rose to Arnold and Mumsy, this time spelled correctly. This is very confidential, so you'll have to discuss its main points with Mr. Haig and McNabb Taylor, a firm of solicitors Johnny had appointed. I write to you in a hurry because our boat to South Africa leaves on Tuesday. And in the 15-page letter, in which he hammered home the need for everyone to lay low and to stay stum, the key points were there. Write to us courtesy of the General Post Office in Durban until we know our new address. Letters of which would sit for months, gathering dust in a box. Archie has made over the property to Haig and sent it to McNabb Taylor for completion. Meaning Johnny owned 16 Doors Road. And all the while, reassuring what remained of Rose's family. I hope he won't feel too sore, but it's the only thing we could do if Archie wasn't to go bankrupt. I don't don't want want you to to worry worry about me. With my very warmest love to you all, yours, Rose. That day, a second letter was sent to McNabb Taylor, the solicitors, and a third was sent from Rose to himself, thanking Johnny. I'm glad to say we've done it, with many thanks to your assistance, which other friends friends seem to have lacked lacked the courage courage to do. Yours very sincerely, Rose Henderson. And before Arnold could even reply, legally, the Henderson's assets were stripped, Johnny was back in the black, Arnold was none the wiser, and there was nothing anyone could do or prove. And as Arnold's detective friend in the Stockport police found nothing suspicious, the Hendersons were never reported missing. Everyone who knew them believed that they had started a new life 9,000 miles away. When in truth, they were little more than a black sludge, slowly sinking into the dirty soil at Leopold Road. To little Johnny Haig, murder had become routine. Yes, it sometimes got quite exciting when things went awry, as sticky beaks were stuck where they didn't belong, and the simple transfer of funds between two accounts was sullied by that tiresome annoyance. People. But people are people. Once again, Johnny had failed to learn from his fatal mistakes. As having overlooked a seemingly small detail, something had gone horribly wrong. But with a simple snip, the rose was clipped, its thorn was blunted, and whether by pluck or by luck, Johnny had pulled off another perfect murder. To pacify Arnold was simple. As his troubles began with a bounce check by Archie, Johnny just wrote him a new one. And once the cash had cleared, Arnold returned to Blackpool and Johnny never saw him ever again. It took a single second to kill the Hendersons, just two days to dissolve their corpses. And after only eight weeks, Johnny had full control over their entire estate. And as a respected middle-class gentleman, with a business to run, good suits to wear, and three sports cars to drive, Johnny's toughest decision 
was between taking tea or tiffin with the rich widows at the Onslow Court Hotel. Annoyingly, as a notoriously irrational and irresponsible gambler, of the £20,000 Archie had been left in his dead wife's will, having sold 22 Ladbroke Square to cover his mounting debts. Although Johnny had literally spent months perfectly preparing the untimely demise of his old pals, the Hendersons, their deaths only netted him a piffling £7,700. Yes, that's just over a quarter of a million pounds today, but it wasn't the three-quarter of a million pounds he'd been hoping for. But hey-ho. Still, with more than enough money to last a lifetime, this time at least, the killing spree of John George Haig would finally come to an end. Or would it? Friends, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. That was the penultimate part of Sulfuric, the true story of John George Haig, with the final part of Six continuing next week. A big thank you to those lovely people who very kindly showered me with gifts on my previous Murder Mile walk. It was unexpected and lovely. They were Emma Thorpe, Johnny Rex, Jessica from the Asian Madness podcast, and the lady with the large black suitcase, who very kindly gave me some yummy spiced Christmas biscuits. It all happened so fast I never got your name, but thank you. And also, a hello to Hamish, my boat neighbour and listener to Murder Mile. Shh, only you know what my boat looks like, so that will have to remain our little secret. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello everyone, how are we doing? Quite another early start this morning. I thought I'd get up really, really... Um, where where I am, I won't say where I am, where I am, uh, right next to quite a, a, a busy area, right next to some big train stations. And uh, so I'm up super early to uh, get up before the trains get up, get up before the... I'm up before the coots this morning. To be honest, there's not many coots around here. It's not a cootie area. Uh, but there's some paving slabs outside. There's people with those flight cases, and all you hear is dun, 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 as they go along. So I'm deliberately, oh, I got up early to try and record this. Also, because I knew this was going to be a difficult one, because there's a lot of voices to do on this one. Uh, I hope I, I hope I can pull this one off. It sounds, it, it, I like this one. This one was difficult to write, but I think I managed to pull off something diff, different in the end. So I'm going to go and make myself a tea. And I'm going to be relatively quiet because Hamish is still asleep. Uh, <laughs> fast asleep next door. Uh, and wisely so, because it's probably not even 6am at the moment. So he's fast asleep. I'm going to make a cup of tea. I'm going to record this bit. Uh, so let's do this now. I'm going to I'm going to be facing you and still saying words. Hang on. Uh, hang on. Could have done my usual shouting across the boat uh, while I was making a cup of tea, but because when you have two boats side by side like this, you can hear every single sound. So I always try and be really cautious, being careful when you when you're moored up next to someone. Try and make sure you don't make too much noise because uh, you, you can literally hear everything. About a year ago, there was a couple uh, having some having some uh, coupley fun next door to me, uh, which was very pleasant. Uh, so yeah you have to be really careful so um cup of tea on the go which is nice nice bit of tetley tetley a bit of sugar and yes i'm having me have me a cake uh went to sainsbury's uh bought a uh a bakewell slice they're only little uh 229 calories per per slice i can burn that off today that's not a problem at all uh I tried to I tried to allow some cakes and things back into my diet now, which is weird though. When I do try and get entirely off the diet, my body goes no, 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 go back to the old ways. So uh, I'm still eating healthily uh, for my main meal and fruit for breakfast, uh, fish sticks for lunch. I do quite like fish sticks, yeah. and I watched a documentary on the making of fish fish sticks re- recently. It's a, a a program called Food Unplanned, where they they look in the processes of all foods and. Quite often there's some horrifying things like they they were saying about, you know, uh, shrimps, you get large shrimps. And in order to have large shrimps to get them to uh, uh, fertilize many multiple times, uh, what they do is they get the female shrimp and they rip out one of its eyes 
because behind the eye is a gland that stimulates and it's it's horrible and it's like the, the you see you see all the big uh, female shrimps sh- swimming around in this pen they're having a great time and then the next pen they're all kind of lank and not doing anything the 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 lady with the report was as she's going to say why are they all like this why why are they go from really she knew the answer but she wanted them to say it and they were like well, you can't film this bit and it's like ah oh. so you, so you ripped out its eye and it's in there now because it's half blind and it's in pain yeah anyway they did they did an investigation into um Fish sticks. Those are the. Oh, I think some people call them crab sticks, and uh, I was like, "Oh, please don't tell me that there's something horrible in it." But it isn't. It's like, you know, it was just uh, decent parts of a fish mashed up a bit, reconstituted with a kind of a turmeric uh, coating on the outside to make it look like crab. But there's nothing bad in it, and in fact, it's full of lots of goodness in there, and it's really good for you as well. So thank God. So that's part of my diet, and then leeks and garlic mostly in the evenings, and fish and. All that, so I think I'm allowed a little bit of cake every so often. That's that's good. Um, doing a boat move today. I'm going heading more west, so um, a couple of boats around us. So Hamish is going to help uh, me move about nine o'clock, and then I'm going to be up and away, which is why I'm up recording early, and then I could do the editing uh, the rest of today, and then Saturday, and hopefully get it online. And even though I did say to um, some of my Patreon listeners that I will be a bit late with these episodes, I'm still on time so far. I think the final episode, next week's episode, might be late because I've got to get to Scotland and uh, other things are going on. Uh, but I'm going to try my best to keep that on time. Anyway, uh, uh, I got my no- I, I, I have my notes in front of me, and my note here says election morning. This is the morning after the election. Eek! Haven't checked results. Uh, my plan was to check the results at the end of uh, extra mile, uh, but I checked it this morning when I woke up yeah okay ah the word the uk has been put back in the word fucked that's all i'm gonna say uh americans when you do take the nhs away from us uh when uh, boris sells it off to trump and you take our nhs away please can we have it back once in a blue moon that'd be nice don't destroy it oh god life is gonna be bad anyway that's all i'm gonna say about politics fuck it Fuck it, I've got a cake. I've got a cake to eat. Cake to eat. That's more important. I don't. I don't really look at the news anyway. I've. I've. What I've worked out is very little of it is important. There's nothing you can really do about most stuff anyway, is there? Really? Do you know? You. Unless unless you're a big powerhouse, unless you've got a lot of money, then you have influence. But if you, if you haven't got money, you really can't do a lot. So, uh, what really can we do? We can protest a bit, but do we ever get listened to? Did we get listened to when there was the, the protest about the, the war in Iraq? It still happened. Both wars still happened. So um, yeah, let's just hope the NHS doesn't get totally de- demolished. Oh. Oops, pop that in there, cup of tea. Right, good, good, good. Coming back, coming back. Oh, T down. T down, right. What else we got? Didn't done diet update. I'm way ahead of myself. Okay, so. Whew, so furic. Uh, hope you're enjoying it. It's a bugger to write. I tell you that much. It really is a nightmare to write. Not just, I mean, it's. 
not just the details i've stripped a lot of stuff away because when you go through the the original files it's a lot of it is full of the finances of it like all of the i i've simplified it now i've made it really simple but it's it's a really complicated scheme he's got going and he's how he, like he's batting out letters to different people left right and center and you know he's oh god it's so complicated and uh so in order to prove the murders at, at the end, they had to use a lot of the financial files in order to prove that John George Haig had murdered these people and had, had illegally acquired their assets. So it's a, it's a nightmare. But I'm, So I'm trying to write it really simple, in a simple way so you can un- understand it and enjoy it. But at the same time, I'm trying to make it very different. Well, this episode was really difficult because there's no murder in it. Well, there is, but it's it's like... Because we've already done a couple of murders, and they're all they're all pretty similar. There's very little difference. It's the same with the Blackout Ripper, and it's the uh, same with Reg as well. That's what made these all difficult. Because serial killers have a pattern. They stick to the pattern, and if they've killed multiple people, it's hard to really write something different about the same thing that's happening. So it's, I've had to sit down and really work out, like, do you know... Uh, young McSwan, young uh, William Donald McSwan, his was kind of... I was, trying to pick apart all the faults that johnny made to do with the murder and then with his parents joe's kind of improving a little bit but there's still mistakes that he's making and he's underestimated people and then uh uh, as we'd already had archie killed and we knew that he was going to kill rosalie anyway it didn't make sense to drag it out across an episode and then at the end he goes and then he kills her that's why i wanted to do that was it that simple yes of course it was dead uh and then we focus on arnold the 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 little details that johnny is missing so uh uh yeah i hope you enjoy that i think one one of my listeners did say recently that they were like what what do i think about johnny haig and i it's in there that what i think i think hopefully it's getting across to everyone exactly do you know i'm not one of these people who's going to sit there and go this is what i think about him because it's all it's all in the story everything is there but if if you haven't got it yet I hope you have, but if you, ha- you haven't got it yet, how do I feel about Johnny? Johnny is a very arrogant man. Um, as I've said many times, he, he he believes that he's superior. He believes that his plan is perfect and that it's flawless, but it isn't. He makes multiple mistakes, but he just doesn't see his own mistakes. He doesn't see his own arrogance. That's it. That's it. That's Everything is in there. Uh, I, can't, I don't think I can make it any clearer than that. Uh, uh, that's it yeah so uh what else we got uh, hope people are enjoying it uh, as i mentioned it's very hard to write uh and i'm trying to make it deliberately kind of unsettling for you so you so you don't really know whether you like him or whether you don't like him or it's interesting a lot of people now are kind of <clears throat> reacting to this and they're going i i could tell that it's there people are like oh do i like him or do i not like him or do you know i'm i'm, I'm trying to get across because for different people johnny was different things and that's the problem is johnny is some people really liked him like uh archie archie liked him uh, kind of they saw each other kind of you know they could have been good friends whereas arnold berlin said that he was just too smooth he didn't like him there was something about him he didn't like he just didn't trust him at all uh rosalie was kind of ambivalent to him really so johnny comes across as different to different people uh hopefully we'll see more of that in the next episode as well but that's what i want to get across to you is kind of like he's a he's a nasty man but he you know he can be good fun he can 
But, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated in a way, but at the same time, he's simple because he just has, he has a simple need, which is he just wants money. You know, there's no there's no malice to him. He he's not out for revenge. He doesn't he wasn't wronged by society. Do you know, there's all these things that you hear about serial killers. He's just in it for the money. He sees people as money. He kills them because he wants the money, and that's it. There's, it's very simple. So uh, yeah, hope hope you're enjoying it. I've got the final episode to write next week. Oh, uh, that should be good. I don't know how, quite know how to write that. That's why I've put a lot of the investigation in this episode. So, so um, I, I'm deliberately writing these in a way that I haven't done in the other ways before. So, like before, I'd normally do uh, like a whole episode about the investigation and stuff like that. What I've done is I've put the investigation into the different episodes. So you've already heard bits. You've already heard about the investigation already. You already know that Seven Gloucester Road is kind of redundant as a location. Years have gone by, like four or five years have gone by. There's no evidence there. There's nothing. The police can't... You, there's no crime scene there. Even though I sh- I'll show you a photo online and all these people surrounding 79 Gloucester Road going, oh, it's a crime scene. There's nothing there. It hadn't been a crime scene for like four years. Nothing there. Um, same with... Um, well, to do with the Hendersons, uh, to Leopold Road hadn't been used hadn't had them there for a year so the next murder is a year later uh spoilers uh so even that's kind of redundant as well so uh yeah so that's why i'm putting bits of the investigation in now so so now we're five murders in and you're already aware that those first five murders there's nothing there's literally nothing the police can't do anything this this is not before someone starts going oh the police were incompetent which people do which really fucks me off because the police aren't incompetent it's just they're fed bad information by people or they're sometimes quite often they're fed no information by people and people seem to think that the police are psychic and that they can go oh there's the bad guy no the police rely on information from the public and if the public can't be asked or when you open up these police files at least a fifth of it is full of bullshit at least a fifth of it is people trying to get their friends in trouble or having theories or, oh, God, it's so bad. Like, people are just, they try and be helpful, but really they just want to draw attention to themselves. It's really bad. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, no, I mean, the, the, there's nothing. I mean, not that, not that Johnny did a great job, but time had passed. You know, time erases a lot of things. So uh, so pretty much the investigation for the first five was kind of redundant, but we'll we'll get to that with part six the final part so uh that'll be interesting uh, int- interesting case and also an interesting person who um people seem to pass over uh, she's one of these characters where where kind of with reg christie i would lo- I really love to do an episode just about her life but it's i'm not going to do that because i'm kind of i need i'm telling johnny haig's story with this so i'm not going to do an extra episode just about her life it's kind of i'll put it in there the details are in there you can read more about it if you like but i'm not going to do any more uh and then there's that so um oh quick slurper tea close your ears oh that's good um i just wanted to clear up a bit so uh as you know i use original quotes in here all of the letters i'm gonna i'm gonna read all the letters uh shortly i'm gonna do an episode that's just about the letters because the letters are huge and very but very interesting so i think they're worth reading in full but these are kind of the edited letters that i've put in here i've had to edit them down for time uh rightly but 
just to say, although I use a lot of Johnny's quotes throughout, there's one bit where... Um, so, when I was doing the back history of Rosalie's life, I've tried to make it clear in there, I've put in a statement in there that these are not Johnny's original quotes, but when I, t when I go through her birth up until the point where she meets Johnny, those aren't proper quotes from Johnny. That's just kind of his thought process as he's learning about her story. So that's all entirely fictional, but I think it's conceivable given the fact of how he... What I wanted to do was get across how he feels about people, how he treats people, how they're just a commodity, how they're just about money. Uh, so, he, you know, there's no reaction to him, um, uh, except with someone like Barbara Stevens, who was his girlfriend. He kind of really liked her and his parents, of course. But other people, they were kind of, are they are they money or are they not money? That's kind of his thing. So a lot of the things that I say in that small section there aren't quotes. Uh, but I, But... Because we'd already learnt a lot about the, the Hendersons through the through Archie's story, and I didn't want to go back and rehash the whole thing again, telling you all about the affair that he had, that he got married to Dorothy, then they had an affair. There were some interesting things about the, the abortion, which we'll go into shortly. So what I did was I deliberately skimmed through that to uh, in, in kind of the way that Johnny would look at it. Do you know, would he care about the abortion? No, not really. It's kind of... You know, blackmailable, but you know it's not really important. You know, her her early life as secretary. Who really cares? Secretary means she she's not minted, so he probably wouldn't give a shit about her. So that's what I wanted to get across. So that was really just about telling you a bit of information, but uh, without boring you to death about just these details which aren't important. But I can do that here. So, uh, ba, 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 ba. Yeah, time of Rosalie's death, death, she was 41 years old, born, as mentioned, September uh, 1907 in Manchester. Uh, father was originally, well, was of Russian origin, but was German. Uh, his name was Dr. Adolf Lionel Berlin, PhD. Uh, her mother was Elizabeth, originally known as Forrest. Uh, he was meant to be a dentist, although there's no real proof of that. Uh, what else we got? Um, yeah, she went to Pendleton High School up until the age of 15. Uh, she had additional education. She went to Pittman College, which is the typing college. She had no criminal record. Uh, she was secretary at Imperia Hosiery on Tottenham Court Road, uh, on a se secretary of five pounds a week. Uh, and she left for an advancement. Uh, then she was uh, secretary to the vice president of Blythe MC at the, at the Equitable Building in New York. Uh, and then she came back and she left to get married. Uh, There's very little. There's a little bit about she was a shorthand typist for the air ministry during the war. But actually uh, many women were around that time. Uh, she was married, as mentioned, to uh, Rudolf Erin, who we mentioned was the engineer and the founder of the Erin Motor Company. Uh, he was originally from Berlin. He uh, came to uh, visit her father, and that's how they got to know each other. It was kind of within a year they were married. They didn't seem to be very much in love. It seemed to be a marriage of convenience. Uh, whilst in Spain, 1935, uh, Rosalie had an affair with Dr. Henderson, which we know about. He was currently treating her at the time for nerves. He was doling her out pills, as he was with his wife, Dorothy. Uh, but obviously, um, Rudolph didn't know about this affair until at least a year later, which was the, 
the fatal year when uh, Dorothy died. Um, he didn't really didn't like the Hendersons. Uh, sorry, Rosalie. Uh, he didn't really like uh, Archie or Dorothy. He said they were uh, objectionable people. Uh, they seem to have... Yes. Sorry. Just skim reading my notes because there's some bits that... Some bit, obviously, for next week, there's some bits that I might want to use next week. Uh, they claim to be happy... Uh, God, where is the bit? Where is the bit about that? Okay. It's, it's, uh, my notes are slightly out of order, so there we go. Okay, affair, right. Uh, Dr. Henderson and Mrs. Evans, she was Mrs. Evans at that point, so it was Rosalie Evans, she would become Rosalie Henderson, was having an affair. She was described as a nervous lady, a hypochondriac. Uh, she would openly, um, he, Archie would openly take phone calls from rosalie in his flat uh three grenfell place in front of his bedbound wife dorothy at the time which was really kind of winding her up and making her even more ill which a lot of people said was absolutely rid ridiculous because dorothy held the purse, purse strings she was the rich one archie had nothing but uh he's that's why i kind of get across the idea that he was as cocky and arrogant and kind of as he had that nasty side in the same way that johnny does as well um but when the affair was happening, even though they were neighbours as well, Rosalie would call up Dorothy, um, taunting her, saying, uh, why don't you let your husband go? He doesn't want to be with you. Kind of being quite nasty, even though Dorothy's health is getting worse and worse. She's getting more stressed. She's drinking. Uh, as mentioned, she moved out of the, out of the uh, apartment and then on the 22nd of April 1937. Wasn't it 36? I thought it was... Uh, she died... Uh, Dorothy would drink large quantities of whiskey and gin. Uh, she was taken to a rehabilitation centre previously, but uh, it didn't seem to work. Uh, Dr. Henderson would apparently ply her with lots of alcohol to shut her up and then would give her lots of sedatives as well. Uh, this is something that he would do with Rosalie as well. Um, at the end of February 1937, uh, or or it could have been at the beginning of March 1937, um, uh, Dr. Henderson uh, performed an illegal abortion uh, on Rosalie. Uh, it was described as the soapbox treatment. If you've uh, read about that before, you'll know more about that, but it's a very unpleasant method using very caustic soap to kind of flush out the fetus. Uh, he was he was the father of the baby, um, it's 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 unclear exactly where the abortion takes place. There's various accounts for it. Um, one says that he asked uh, Helen Melling, who was the owner of uh, number three Grenfell Place, where they lived, if they could have a room, a private room. He said he had a private patient, and they had the abortion there. But other accounts say that the abortion happened in his front room, in the flat that he was living in with Dorothy. I think it's more likely that he was uh, he asked for a private room. But although uh, in terms of tabloid details, it's uh, it's better to say it, it was in the front room. Uh, in they they said that um, Rosalie and Archie were involved in some kind of sexual sadism as well. Whether that was true, we don't know. Uh, some kind of flagellation, i.e. whipping and bondage. Did that happen? We don't know. Uh... 
Let's spin on from that. So she was married to uh, Rudolf Ehrens. Uh, he was, even though they said he was German, he was actually born in the Czech Republic, but that was part of Germany around the time of, of uh, kind of World War Two. Uh, quite a pro- prosperous man. I mean, if if uh, Johnny would have met him, he probably would have liked him and probably would have killed him. Um, he was a founder of the Erin Motor Company, as mentioned, and Erin Inventions Company and Erin Engineering, which had a factory in Chelsea. Uh, he was elected member of the Institute of Fuel. Uh, uh, in all, he also had a factory in Berlin. This is around 1930. Uh, so um, then uh, when he met Rosalie, he moved to he, he got all his fares here, moved to uh, London. Uh, quite a prosperous man, uh, quite prominent, uh, travelled around the world talking about, you know, uh, engineering and stuff like that. Uh, what else have we got? What else have we got? I'm, I'm whizzing through because I know that I... I th- oh, did I Did I put... Let me whiz ahead. I, I don't think I put... No. Oh, no, we're not doing the letters today. I'm going to save those. I thought I was doing all the letters today, but I've remembered that we're saving the letters for the... Um, the um extra extra episode that i'm going to put probably put out between christmas and new year probably i'll record one then and put that out so so when you're listening to the uh, the omnibus edition then you can enjoy that and that'll be the letters in full but we won't do those today um so 1936 um um obviously Archie, uh, do you know, uh, when he married Dorothy, his his very wealthy wife, he stopped being a doctor because he didn't have to, and he became a bit of a louche and started you know, drinking and having parties and all that. But as she reigned in the the, the purse strings, um, he had to, he started working again as a doctor, and it also gave him an opportunity to kind of uh see rosalie rosalie would follow him around the country so he started working again as a doctor at netterley abbey near southampton um and uh rose would follow him she'd follow him around the country uh but obviously this was around the point that she started drinking a hell of a lot more do you know it makes sense i mean he's a womanizer he's not a nice man there is a lot of uh references in here to him being quite abusive to her she would have black eyes every so often so and and if you consider the fact that the suspicion that he drugged up and possibly killed his his previous wife and then he married um then he married rosalie no wonder she was drinking jesus i would be uh oh here's something that's interesting um so after the murder of Dorothy, Archie's first wife, uh, um, Rosalie wanted a divorce from Rudolf Ehrens, her husband, but he wouldn't allow it because obviously he was a man of money and he didn't want to he didn't want to lose half half of his empire because he, you know, he had an engineering empire and he didn't want to have to lose half of it just because she decided that she was going to have an affair, so he wouldn't allow it. Um. Uh, the divorce proceedings were going through um, and Archie Henderson offered Rudolph money to not divorce Rose and to take her back because by this point Archie had inherited £20,000 which as we mentioned was almost three quarters of a million pounds today 
He'd inherited that off his dead wife. That was her entire estate. None of it went to the rest of her family. It all went to him. And although it's not really said, he's kind of uncertain around that point. Um, whether she, if, if he marries her, whether she will get half of his fortune as well. So he actually tried to bribe Rudolph to say, don't, don't divorce Rose. Take her back. Everything's fine. So uh, did he really, did Archie really want to marry Rosalie? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, so uh, what else we got? Uh, yeah. August 1939, uh, Rudolf applied for British naturalisation, but owing to the outbreak of World War II and him technically being German, he was actually Czech, this was denied. He was interred in a prisoner of war camp, sent to Canada, and then in 1945 he was returned to Germany. He was suspected of being a spy. Uh, the only real evidence that he was uh, uh, suspected of being a spy was because he was German and because he worked in engineering. And that really is it. But it was World War Two. There was a lot of um, a lot of sensitivity. Uh, what else we got? There's th some things I put into this script, and some things I deliberately took out. So I'm trying to remember what was actually in there. Um, Archie got engaged to Rosalie using a blue sapphire engagement ring with diamonds on both sides. Uh, three stones crossed over, a blue sapphire with a diamond on both sides are mentioned. Um, uh, what wasn't mentioned is that this was the the former ring of his former dead wife. So he was so he didn't even bother to buy a, a new engagement ring. He was just like, yeah, I'll just use me, me dead wife's old ring and I'll give it to me new wife. Lovely. I bet that she must have loved wearing that. Um, yep, it said that Rose was in incredibly highly strung. Uh, Dr. Henderson gave her a lot of sleeping pills to keep her subdued, exactly the same as his previous wife, Dorothy. But they always put on a show in public of being happily married, although it was very clear that they were very jealous of each other. Always seemed to be drinking rather heavily. Both seemed to have uh, had uh, lots of affairs. Uh, yep so around the time gearing up to the murder obviously Dorothy had sp she'd spent a good couple of months bedbound it was, she wasn't entirely 100% bedbound but from November until the February when she died she was almost exclusively bedbound which is why they went to uh, Brighton to get some fresh some fresh sea air lovely I might do that in January I might go to Brighton I was going to do this I was going to go to Brighton to visit some sites um for this podcast but i only made it as far as crawley which is which is lovely very nice uh but i didn't go to brighton and also i didn't feel it you kind of needed to me to go all the way to brighton just to shoot what where the metropole hotel is because it's not really that massively important uh so i didn't do that but i might do that in january i might take myself off when i've got some time off lovely uh as mentioned they had a red setter called pat uh this was formerly dorothy's dog uh, so as you remember in the story, Dorothy used to cuddle up with a little red setter puppy called Pat. That was uh, when they first got married. Uh, obviously, by the time of the murder uh, of Rosalie and Archie, <coughs> Pat was pretty old by that point. He was no longer a puppy. He was an old dog. He was uh, uh, almost practically blind. They said he was night blind, but he was almost entirely uh, blind in the daytime as well. Uh, we already mentioned about the service revolver and gas mask that was at 16 Doors Road so that came in from the last episode that's what makes these episodes difficult to write is 
you know, this is only a six-parter, but I'm having to keep tabs on everything, where everything is at different points, and oh, where the drums are. How many bloody drums have we gone through? If he would have kept the first drum and just used that, that would be fine. But he didn't. It's like the amount of times, like like when uh, when he murders uh, the Hendersons. And not the Hendersons, the McSwans, and then he and then he has the drums delivered to Alan Stevens, and you think, okay, well he's keeping them for next time, just in case. And then, and then it was only when I was going through my notes again, I went, hang on, these are why, why, how did, why did he go to a, a lumber yard or a builder's yard and and uh, trade uh, an ounce of tobacco for a drum there? What's going on then? It's like, oh, they're missing. It's like the details here are so sketchy. It's hard to, <coughs> it's hard to really stay on top of everything oh dear uh yeah so uh, uh even the guests at 22 Ladbrook square which was the guest house that they owned in holland park they bought it as a guest house that they thought it might be a good kind of uh financial concern for them it didn't work out too well because they're not really good they're, the hendersons were good at kind of entertaining people but they weren't good at looking after properties uh some of the guests that lived there said that uh, rose would often have a black eye uh, she stayed in her room for days on end and that her husband often gave her a thrashing having come home drunk not a nice man not a nice man at all uh, hence she would uh, uh, quite often have affairs and she would go I haven't mentioned this but she would quite often go away uh, on holidays together with and without her husband so their relationship was quite up and down uh, what have we got what have we got what have we got uh, oh yeah, last sighting. So I I I, I took these out, but because I didn't feel that they really were of much importance to this to this story. But fifth of February, nineteen forty-eight, at three p.m., Rose met Eleanor Noble Robins Eleanor Noble Robinson, Archibald's half cousin in Harrods, as you do, uh, and said that her and her husband were going away on holiday, and they would staying at the Kingsgate Hotel near Broadstairs which they did first this was the hotel they stayed at they didn't like it It was a bit quiet they moved to Brighton uh, Monday the 9th of February 1948 Rose called Eleanor um, uh, hang on uh, yeah no uh, she then she called Eleanor and said that on uh, the 11th she phoned to say that she was now at the Metropole Hotel in Brighton she had had a row with her husband Archie and that John George Haig had driven them from Broadstairs to Brighton uh, uh, Eleanor said Rose called again on Friday the 13th which is not possible because that's the day after they were murdered but sometimes people get their dates wrong and said uh, she was coming to London on Monday the 16th, so she was returning that day. But Eleanor did not hear uh, anything until the 23rd of March, 1948, so that's a couple of weeks later, when she received a postcard from uh, Rose marked Glasgow. Mm, I wonder who that could be. Saying that she was moving to Durban in South Africa. Mm, I wonder who that could be. Um, the writing appeared to be Rose's. So they, obviously this was a handwritten card. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Mrs. Audrey Faye Appleby. Uh, at the end of October 19... Uh, no, that can't be right. Oh, no, that's when a statement was given. Sorry. She occupied a double bed, bed sitting room at 16 Doors Road, which is the Dole's Hospital. Obviously, on uh, above that, the Hendersons live, but they rented out the other flats as well. Uh, 
Audrey lived there with her friend Mrs. Valerie Bowden, paying two guineas a week. Um, Rose called every Saturday uh, for the rent. Uh, I, I, I'll be showing some pictures of that on, online. There's some. Uh, I've got uh, the last entries of Rose uh, collecting the rent. <coughs> Uh, no, she said that when Rose previously went to Brussels with Archie, um, she had she had Audrey pay in advance, uh, and Rose was very good at informing the tenants when she would be away and how long for. You know, uh, she was uh, quite good at that. Early February nineteen forty eight, Doctor Henderson, obviously uh, Archie and Rose came. Uh, that's when they started living at 16 Doors Row. They didn't like it. They weren't there that long. Uh, they had the first floor room over the shop. Uh, they only actually lived there for a week before they were murdered. Uh, and then they went away to the King's Gate. Uh, well, where was this bit? There was... Um, what have I done with it? I've done with it. Gone away with a really... Imp- oh, and that's the last details I put in. That's really annoying. Um, I had some details in there before about how... Uh, later on how Johnny would kind of turn up and he'd be uh, he'd be like I'm the new owner of the house now uh, I'm the new tenant here's a piece of paper that says I'm the new tenant and quite quite a few of the the, the tenants who were there were like mm, this doesn't make sense do you know they they, they were like no we're not going to give you any rent until uh, until I either Archie or Rosie turns up even though like Johnny was waving a piece of paper in front of them and going look I'm your new landlord la 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 um they they didn't accept it. It was only after a couple of months that they were like, okay, well this this must be happening. Do you know when when uh, Johnny became the the de facto owner of Sixteen Doors Road? So um, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot in this story. There's a lot of bits and pieces. So I've, I've obviously as you can see, I've I've deliberately taken stuff out because I just uh, otherwise it can be just. I remember reading this file when I was in the archives and just going, oh jeez there was so much and it, it got to one point where I was reading it and I was, I was like I'm just going to take pictures of this just take pictures of these pages because I just can't be asked to read them anymore it was like you know, things transferred from accounts at such point and I was like does it really tell us about the people and their lives and what they're thinking and I, I, I wrote down a lot of the a lot of the details but in the end I just I, I, I was like you don't need to know all this stuff you don't need to know that on such dates such money got transferred it's like I, I worked out you can just go and then on this date he acquired the property and it's like well there you go well, that's everything we need to know you don't need to, we didn't all these details about when the conveyance went through and you know they're, they're, they're having the house assessed and it's like ugh, all that stuff so I think that's enough that's done that's done and dusted right bake or slice that's good. I'm gonna have a bake or slice. Gonna have a cup of tea. Gonna start editing this. Gonna get ready to move the boat. <sighs> gonna not look at the news. Not look at the news. Whatever I do, don't look at the news. Dear God. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Merry almost Christmas, dear God. Anyway, um, hope you're all well. Uh, hope you're all staying healthy. Uh, you'll need to be because the NHS is going to be uh, sold off very shortly. Uh, have yourselves a good life. And uh, next week oh, will be the final part of uh, Sulfuric. Hope you're enjoying it. And uh, I'll speak to you all soon. Best wishes. Lots of love. Bye bye. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.